This hour, we'll take your calls with David Serrata as we talk about anomalies at the Washington Monument and other strange mysteries right here on Coast to Coast AM. And welcome back. George Norrie with you along with David Serrata. David, what happened to Tesla's files? Well, they were, they were, there's a cubic meter of Tesla's files that were sent to the University of Belgrade and Yugoslavia, the former Yugoslavia, which is now divided into Bosnia and Serbia. But Maglich told me, you know, um, that he had access to them. They don't allow anyone to photocopy them. You, scientists can come in there and read them, learn from them, but they, there's no way Magwitch told me you could read all those notes because you'd have to photocopy them and spend years studying them. And also, when the Battle of the Currents happened, Edison firebombed Tesla's lab in New Jersey, and Tesla said he never recovered from the losses in his experiments that he was working on in that lab. So Edison was very jealous. He had no reason to be because he invented the phonograph, the motion picture, you know, the, the the first light bulbs which flickered and Tesla, you know, invented neon lighting and fluorescent lighting, radio, alternating current remote control. But they didn't get along, did they, Edison and Tesla? There was a jealousy there. There's a competitiveness. Even though Edison hires Tesla, there's a competitiveness. And then Tesla goes out on his own and J.P. Morgan finances him. And then Tesla's ideas got too powerful and too exotic, and some of them were, were, I mean, Tesla demonstrated a faster-than-light radio signaling, and he said he was receiving um, extraterrestrial signals from Venus or Mars. And so today, if you use Tesla's patent on faster-than-light radio, I mean, there would, there probably the military is using that on, you know, for secure Mm -hmm. channeling, right? And as far as the Tesla death rate, I believe we have it. Like, I mean, I I had access, and because of you know who I was working for, to many of America's top secret labs. I I got into Rand Corporation one day and did some work there, and I was helping a woman build a brochure on how to use thing was the size of an M16. It was a laser gun. It was a Star Wars type um, handheld, you know laser that they could destroy things. So when you think of the Tesla death rate and you think of handheld lasers, you know, being a derivative of that on a smaller scale, it's very, very feasible. But but yet you don't see them in the media as far as what we understand that the military actually has. So when you look at, again, you look at the situation with Russia. So you, you come... 68 years after the monument is erected, you come to the U.S. US Capitol buzzing, which was on the cover of Time magazine. Again, it was July 1952. Interesting. That is July, just like Roswell. When And there were two... Right. Major- Five years later, of course. Right. And only three months after 1952, we the United States tests the H-bomb, which was invented by, by, by Edward Teller. And Again, it was it was top secret at Los Alamos, and this Russian spy was still in there. And he sends the H bomb to Russia. Russia builds a bigger H bomb, the Tsar Bomba, and that's when before the Cuban Missile Crisis. What, what really drove it was the Russians stole everything. I mean, imagine all the work that went into building 
the first atomic bomb and the H-bomb. They, they get both of them free. And then the United States, of course, is terrified. So the United States put missiles in Turkey pointing at Russia and, and, and missiles in Europe pointing at Russia. The Russians are terrified. So then they send their missiles to Cuba. Yep, and, and it started. 1962 and, was a tough year. Well, I was born in 61. So, I, I mean, if it wasn't for Kennedy's incredible tactfulness. And Khrushchev's. They both worked and, together. We wouldn't be here. It would have been all over. So when I look at the situation today, I mean, the news media doesn't seem to understand this. The Russians didn't invent this stuff. And they don't want U.S. missiles pointing at them today. Well, you freaking stole everything, right? And the Chinese stole everything. And it's the same thing. Every one of these inventions I'm talking about that were birthed within this bubble of the monument the Americans shared openly with the world. None of those countries would have benefited from these inventions because they didn't figure it out. But when the when the first person figures it out, and then everybody gets their hands in there, they can make little improvements and make things a little bit different and 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 start to evolve. But what interests me the most is why America first and why within my bubble around the monument. So I believe it's frequency. I can't prove that, but I don't have any other data to go on. It's Interesting. Let's take some calls for you, David. Let's go to Marsha in Los Gatos, California, west of the Rockies. Hey, Marsha, thanks for calling. Hey, George. Good to hear your voice. Thank you. Well, David, I would like to reap your mind. <laughs> and I, I want to know what you think. I have two questions. One is, with the pyramids out in the desert and the sand and silica would blow up against it and be heated by the sun and make a glass covering over the top, would that change the frequency? Well, see, the, the pyramid's frequency, like, so again, the Queen's Chamber is the same exact measurement as Moses' original Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And, and extending beyond... The, the Holy of Holies was what's called the Holy Place, which is a 10 by 20 cubit tent. And, and that's the King's Chamber. King's Chamber is 10 by 20 cubits. But then when you calculate and, and you realize that there's a connection between the Great Pyramid of Egypt and the God of the Bible, you understand why the Vatican made St. Peter's Basilica the height of the Great Pyramid of Egypt. But then you get into frequency. And, and many, many, over a decade and a half ago, I decoded all the frequencies that the Great Pyramid would, would transmit as a giant crystal oscillator when it had its original limestone casing. But you're asking if the silica, you see, you have your radioactive granite core masonry, which actually contains aluminum and, and iron, believe it or not, so it wasn't a non-conductive core. Then you have your your, um, um, your your casing stones, and your, your casing stones are, um, um, I'm just trying to remember the name of the stone, kind of my mind's blanking it out for some reason, I have too many. Limestones? Limestone, so you have your limestone, there's two different types of limestone, there's 144,000 limestone casing blocks, and you know what's interesting, uh, 432 and 144 are, it's 144 times 3 is 432, right? And so when you get into the, 
the idea of the silica, which is a silica is a tetrahedron under the microscope. It, it's a three-sided pyramid. And then you're getting into deeper and deeper questions about frequency, right? Would it change the frequency? Um, no, it wouldn't because your, your wavelength it is your frequency. You take the speed of light in inches divided by your wavelength in inches and you got your frequency. So you, when I calculated all the frequencies of the Great Pyramid and I, I looked at the numbers going up this thing as a slope tuner, I found a music scale that was superior to our modern music scale today. There, potentially there are many music scales that would be very beneficial to generate music and healing and altering consciousness. Let's go back to Marsha for her second question. Go ahead, Marsha. Thank you so much. David, now going over toward radios, do you have a Skywave at home? Do you have a CC? No. I, I have radios here. I mean, that, I mean, I mean, George had Jimmy Blanchett and myself on, and Jimmy was getting phenomenal things happening at 432 megahertz and 144.1 um, megahertz. Phenomenal things happening. And actually, you know, to answer your question, I have radios here, yes. But um, when you say a Skywave radio, I'm not sure exactly what you mean. Now that's a C-Crane radio, one of our clients, David. Oh, a C-Crane radio, no. No, okay. no, I, I don't. What was your question, though, Marsh? question is, if he takes a Skywave radio and he holds it up to a, a, a candelabra with two batteries in it, that Skywave radio will start singing. Oh, really? wonder what it sings like. That's interesting. i got to try that with one of mine. Thanks, Marsha. Brian in Indianapolis. Take it away, Brian. Hey, George, if that uh, C-Crane radio uh, sings like you. It could be my voice. You never know. You never know. Hey, listen, I, one thing I learned tonight, I didn't realize, I didn't miss the story about this space shuttle Challenger being hit by a death rate. I'm going to look that up. But I got a good question here tonight. I'm uh, I'm interested in what David thinks about Nikolai Tesla's obsession, obsession with the numbers 3, 6, and 9. Now, he lived on, in, uh, I believe it was a New Yorker hotel for decades on the 33rd floor in room 3327, which equals 3 and 3 is 6, 2 and 7 is 9. He would walk around buildings three times before going in. He would wash his plates six times before, uh, or cleaning them, whatever, before putting them up. So he said that these three numbers were the key to the universe. Now, David, can you uh, explain to the Coast audience what he meant by that, and what do you, do you think these three numbers are the key to the universe? Well, um, my take on the 369 is this. I, I measured the Ark of the Covenant using the proper uh, inches to royal cubit and using the long cubit because Ezekiel says the cubit of God is a cubit plus a hand. And you won't believe it. My angles on the Ark of the Covenant were 30 and 60 and 90 degrees on all my corners, 369. So, again, there's Lead Skallinen with this, with this. It looks like an ark. I mean, sitting on top of the poles and... It, does he know the secret of the Ark of the Covenant? Because in the Kebra Nagas... Well, he, he did say that he knew the secrets of the pyramids. Well, let's see, this is what I mean. So it, it's, is, it, is, it, is it a combination of its magnetic field generators and a particular frequency? So I decided that the, the breastplate of Aaron is like a square radio receiver 
transmitter, just like when you see these round satellite dishes, the wavelength is the circumference of the dish. So I measured the, the square circumference of the of the um, breastplate of Aaron, and you won't believe the number I got. It took the speed of light divided by the square, 432 megahertz, which is the same number that Jimmy Blanchett uses on his radios. And so is there, I mean, why why would it be 432 again? Is, is that God's frequency um is, is it is it is there i think there's more to it the secret it would the breastplate of Aaron would receive a square wave at 432 megahertz perfectly why why that number again the same number i'm seeing in the monument right so what is it about it is is it something that opens up consciousness is there do you need the, the this particular frequency in addition to the magnetic um, field, because Scallon had the the magnet wheels. You know, he had the the kind of rotor and the. Well, and he also wrote a book on magnetism, David. So you're pretty close I know, to that. I, I've I've seen that. So if you spin magnets, you'll generate a, a spinning magnetic field. You can measure it on a magnetometer. I've done this. So you also note that his limestone. I mean, his what were his blocks? Coral calcium. So calcium is paramagnetic it's a paramagnetic metal which means it, it can it will turn into a magnet in a magnetic field so that means when you see these ufos levitating cows and elk like in this movie you know right they put it like in a force field right so the the calcium in your bones will turn into a magnet in a very dense magnetic field so you can lift a cow you can lift a human like travis walton so that means, again, Lee Scallon's blocks are, are coral calcium. So did he did he magnetize the calcium, but he needed the frequency of the Ark of the Covenant in addition to it? I don't know. Like I, to, to, I look at all the data, look at everything on the table, and I see, you know, what is the answer? We know the Ark of the Covenant levitated the Israelites' luggage, and it levitated other things. So there's something about the Ark that, that was... That was they corresponded to anti-gravity effects. Let's go to Mayette in New York. Mayette, take it away. You're on with David Sereda. Good morning, gentlemen. Excellent uh, program, George. Uh, uh, David, I have a three-parter for you, and I'll listen over the air, so just please make a note. First of all, um, uh, there has been uh, a guest or two on coast who have advocated for changing our music, all music, uh, I guess retuning it to 432 and raising consciousness and sort of being an evolutionary catalyst, if you will, which is greatly needed. Uh, second, I'd like uh, further clarification around the Washington Monument. You're using the term anomalies, but this sounds like from the beginning intended and uh, just clarify whether there needs to be some correction with the monument. And lastly, are you familiar with Louis Latimer, who brought the carbon element that made Edison's life a practical, uh, a practicable, I guess, and doable? And that's my three questions. And thank you for your work. And thank you, George. All right. Start with number one, music in 432, David. Yeah, there's a huge movement out there of people and musicians who are tuning their guitars and their harps 
So you're just shifting your A note from 440 vibrations per second to 432. But that means all your other notes, A, B, C, D, F, G, all have to shift accordingly and proportionally to have a proper, properly tuned, complete music scale. And, and I've actually done that mathematically so that you could, you could actually build a scale. And, and the, the, you know, the movement for this has already started. I'm, I'm not the one who started it. What amazed me is when I saw the breastplate of Aaron at 432 megahertz and I saw the monument is a, is again, it doesn't, a, middle A at 432 means that's one octave of A. So you can go up times two, times two, times two, times two until you reach the end of human hearing. And you can keep going until, like radio astronomers, George, have actually measured certain stars emitting radio frequencies and correspond it to a music scale because it'll be an ultra high A, B, or C, or D note, right? So this star is a super high D note. You can't hear those frequencies, but they still are part of the scale. So what I'm saying is that there's a whole scale there for 432 megahertz. And, and I'm decoding it right now, the whole thing. It's my newest work because I think that is, is, is the, the master frequency of the Bible. Her second question had to do with the monument uh, in the shape of it, if they could make any corrections to it. What do you think? Well, if it's been detuned, um, I mean, I've gotten right into the math on the aluminum pyramidium that's sitting on the top. And when I, I, mean, I know the secret to the pyramidium on the top. I mean, the people who designed this, were such masters, they were masters beyond masters. Again, the monument's diameter, two circles, the Vesca Pisces it forms, is the height of the Great Pyramid when it was finished with its capstone. Like, who who could have known that back then, right? Who, how did they know this stuff? And there it is. If you look on the grass on the lawn, it's in the photograph I put up on the site, and you can see that somebody designed the lawn to form a Vesca Pisces and the monuments coming out of the middle of the Vesca Pisces, which means somebody in Washington knows the same secret that I know that I'm telling you tonight. And her last question was about the filament. And, and we'll, we'll do that when we come back. That uh, was Louis Latimer who invented the improved carbon filament for light bulbs. We'll see what you have to say and we'll take final calls next. And we'll be back with David Sereda and final phone calls here as we talk about his incredible discoveries, basically, about the Washington Monument and other issues. On our next Coast to Coast program, Robert Lanza joins us, uh, the incredible physicist, and we'll be talking about quantum physics and how it changes humanity. Fascinating program there. And then Sarah Breskman Kazume will join us to talk about hypnotism on Coast to Coast. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with David Sereda, our final segment here, final calls. David, uh, Mayat's final question was about Louis Latimer, the American inventor. He was born in 1848, died in 1928, but he developed a better carbon filament for light bulbs. Well, what amazes me, he was born in 1848 is the year the monument started construction. I think that's incredible. Wow. He's an African-American inventor. It's, I'm looking probably what you're looking at here. He worked with Alexander Graham Bell, Hiram S. Maximum, Thomas Edison, 
I wonder if he ever got to meet Tesla. He played a critical role in the development of the telephone. So remember, when when the first inception invention happens, it's all these other scientists come in and they make these improvements. In fact, his Lewis H. Latimer house is well within my bubble. So he did his work well within the bubble that I'm talking about. He's born the year of the birth of the monument. That's That's, that's bizarre. Let's go to calls again. Let's go to Sherry in Gold Bar, Washington. Welcome to the program. Hi, Sherry. Hi. Good evening, you guys. Good to have you with us. Go ahead. Hey, gracious one. Um, what I have is a real fear of these cell phones, and I believe they're going to use them towards us humans with malice. I have a high-pitched ringing most all the time in my ears. But I worked with a power company for 15 years, George, and like I said, we're in really bad trouble. So I was just wondering if you guys knew anything about that. Or would be. What are you thinking about the power of cell phones, David? Well, I mean, the, a lot of people get tinnitus, which is the ring in the ear. I don't hold your cell phone to your ear. You know, use it on speaker and don't touch it. I mean, I've measured the radiation coming off of cell phones. It's it's not that strong if you're using a cell phone in the country somewhere, but when you get in a city and you walk around with a meter like I have measuring all the microwaves, it's brutal. So it's important that it doesn't touch your body, even the earbud headphones. You know that's a direct connection to the brain. Just set it down, put it on speaker, and you know communicate that way, and you'll you'll be a lot safer. Holding it to the ear. For long periods of time, can can I don't personally believe that's healthy at all. Let's go to Don, Alberta, Canada. Hey, Donald, welcome to the show. Uh, hi, George. Hi, David. Do I have half an hour? No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> the, uh, the 1936 Pyrrhus Arrow that uh, Nikola Tesla drove around uh, for three years, and then and he said it got electricity out of the air, and I was wondering if it has to do with that. Uh, being within 200 miles of the obelisk and why it worked. Hans Kohler, a German engineer, at the end of the year, he had, or the end of the war, sorry, he had a, alter, a generator with no moving parts, one battery to start it, one battery to run it would produce six kilowatts. Um, one of my other questions is, is uh, well, after Roswell, well, my understanding was the death ray, is it just a, a microwave that they modified the frequency? After Ros, they shot down those uh, three UFOs, Roswell and the other two. The United States, in the next year and a half, I think it was, they lost over 5,000 U.S. military aircraft worldwide. So I was just wondering if that was a little bit of a revenge thing going on. And the Columbia, you were talking about it. There's a really good video. It's been picked apart and everything, but uh, it's taken from space, and it actually shows the, uh, the Columbia being damaged before entry. I don't know if you know anything about that. And... Uh, what else was there? Oh, well, let's get some answers first, Don. Go ahead. Well, uh, that's, that's going to take a half an hour to go through all this stuff, and they're very, very, you know, good questions. I mean, a lot of the free energy devices that were that were developed, um, I know some of the scientists personally, and, and you have to understand once you have an inception invention and the patent is distributed and the the learning is distributed then people start working on it in, in a lot of different places. So, I mean, Tesla worked in in New Jersey. His lab was in New Jersey, and then he also worked in Colorado Springs. 
He was kicked out of Colorado because he actually did an experiment that tapping into the Earth's resonant energy, he shorted all of the, the transformers in the state of Colorado, <laughs> blew, them all, blew them all up. Power, power, the, power outage in Colorado Springs, huh? Yeah, and then he, he went to New York after that, right? So it's... Again, it's, there's something about the, I, I, this inception is like the womb. It's like a bubble, and, and the the life changing inventions are happening there. Now, if you put up a a monopole obelisk that had the precise height and measurements, and and put off the right frequency, you might start to see this happening in other places. And you do. In fact, a lot of the Egyptian obelisks were distributed. There's one in Paris, France, I believe. There's, um, I believe, one in the United Kingdom. Um, they've moved. They've been kind of shared and moved around. And again, I go to Isaiah 19:19, 19, 19, where it talks, where God is saying to erect a pillar to the Lord God on the border. And when you see the same measurements in the Great Pyramid of Egypt as you see in in, in the time of Moses and the Holy of Holies and Solomon's Temple, you, you start to wonder if the architect is is one and the same. In fact, it was. Uh, the Great Pyramid decoded by Peter and Missouri, he deducted the same thing I did in the end. I've made huge mathematical discoveries in the Great Pyramid that go beyond the Missouri's, but he deducted the same thing, that the architect of the pyramid is one and the same as the God of the Bible. So that, to when you get into Tesla and free energy ideas, there's nothing I know that Tesla did that was a greater free energy source than tapping into the Earth's um, motor, basically. I mean, the, the Earth's resonant frequency, if you can ride that wave like a surfer, there's so much power there, it's unbelievable. And when when um, um, this other scientist I mentioned earlier tonight, um, I'm just trying to remember his name, uh, he went around sticking, you know, hammering these rods into the ground. He found there's power... In, in many places um, on the Earth, which means he, he confirmed what Tesla is saying. There's a way to draw energy right out of the Earth, and it's not solar energy. It's, it's, it is a form of perpetual energy. But when Tesla did it in Colorado, he's shorting out all the transformers in the state. They should have taken interest in that and said, we need to build better transformers to be able to absorb this energy you're tapping into because this would be the ultimate power source. So, you know, there's people who make claims about Tesla that it's hard to verify it with a patent. I've read every book there is on Tesla. I was director of the Tesla Foundation in Los Angeles, appointed by an MIT PhD, Bogdan Maglich. I still have a copy of my letter of appointment. I, I can't say I agree with everything that everybody's posting about Tesla out there. There's a lot of stuff. Next up, let's go to first-time caller Brian in Denver, Colorado. Hey, Brian, go ahead. Hey, how are you doing? Great. Thanks for holding. Yeah, I'd like to ask David, um, you know, I think his work on frequency is stellar. Um, but when I went to get car insurance, they said that 95% of accidents happened around my house. And I told them 95% of my driving's around my house. So when he talks about the monuments being there, I think most of the institutions that bring about this technology is around these monuments. And um, you did a show on invention, George, and you showed that 
people from different parts of the world got the same inventions at the same time. Yes. And I'd like to ask him about that. Well, see, that's a, that's like the, what do they call that? The 10th monkey or the 100th monkey theory is, is once, once there's an inception invention. It's like consciousness is floating everywhere, David. Yeah. It, it, we, we can see little bits of it. Like, again, there's three guys that invented radio. You know, it was, the U.S. Supreme Court ruling June 21st, 1943, that Marconi, merely using Tesla's patents, broadcast across the Atlantic. He also, it was it was um, um, Sir Oliver Lodge, Tesla, and Stone who got credit for radio. But actually, it, it's in, in the shared presence. Again, if you look at the transistor, it's it's Will Bratton. Will Shockley and John Bardeen, and again, it was done at Bell Labs, which is New Jersey, right inside my bubble. But, but there were three guys who were having the insights, and they came together. And then eventually, it was taken over at Stanford University, and it, in California, and it went to a whole other level. Transistor changed the entire world. So did the crystal oscillator. So consciousness can make that leap. But you, when you look for inception, the moment that the first form, because the first transistor was a pretty crude-looking thing. It, it was like it, not very impressive-looking thing. But still, they demonstrated it. That, that's what I mean by inception. So there's inception, and then it starts to hop around, and other people start spinning it in their consciousness, and they make it better, and they make it better, and they make it better. You know, And we taught, basically... The, the the Chinese and, and and the Japanese used to make our first transistor radios. I mean, they're the ones we, we had them do it. We taught them everything they know. They make our cell phones and our computers today. And then they 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 stole. They have the ability to spy on us because they make everything. And they they got into our into our military and and they're able to steal some of our greatest secrets. I mean, on the greatest secret level and on the level of inception. We don't know right now what the next big thing is going to be. I mean, when the Internet was developed, that was Robert Kahn and Benton Cerf developed the first transmission control protocol for the Internet in the 70s. Again, that's right inside my bubble. But but then it, it got spun. You know, it, it started to go into the minds of other people, and it became it became what we have today, the Internet. So what is the next big thing going to be you know i don't know but i know that the data says that the inception and all the big stuff the inception moment happened in the bubble and then it spread and then it spread outside the bubble let's go to ufo jim in uh, canyon country california hey jim go ahead hi george it's a pleasure to talk to you again thank you and, sir uh, i admire david serrata I was on the show with you a night that he called in just after me about Moses' staff. Yes. And I wish he would uh, expand on that a little bit. And I've got a couple other quick comments. If we uh, have time, we'll come back to you. But uh, we've got about a minute and a half left, David. Go ahead. Well, the staff is the same thing. I mean, I mean, if you go on davidsarita.co, you can see that we're, we're making these things for customers now. It's two and a half cubits. The, the Bible says that the staff lay in the ark, and the ark is two and a half cubits, and if you read Ezekiel, you understand that God only uses the long cubit, the cubit in the hand. So 
the an antenna, whether it's small enough to fit in your hand like a staff, still acts as an antenna and interfaces with the human nervous system. In fact, a new article just came out in the Smithsonian that in the future they want to use humans as antennas. And so my theory is, is proven that the human nervous system and the human skeleton can interface with an antenna and the staff of Moses and Aaron and the prophets. And Jesus actually, in Mark 6, 1 through 8, told the apostles they all had to have their staffs when he dispersed them to spread the Gospels and do the healing. So that would mean that the staff has a frequency, too. And I know what that frequency is, of course. I've, I've calculated it. And, and the people who use the staffs that we make work with that in meditation. So there has to be a reason for it. If Jesus urged the apostles in Mark 6, 1 through 8, by the way, is the golden ratio, 6, 1, 8 is the golden ratio, then there has to be a reason for it. He, he, wouldn't have, he said, no money in your purse, no sandals, no bread, no food, just your staff. That's what it says. So that means it's absolutely important to have it. So well, you've come across some great stuff, David. You're absolutely brilliant. David's website linked up at coasttocoastam.com. Thank you, Mr. Sereda. For Dan Galanti, Tom Dan Heiser, Lisa Lyon, Lex Lonehood, Sean Ladasur, Stephanie Smith, Chris Burroughs, Tim Banal, George Knapp, and Ian Punnett. I'm George Norrie, somewhere out there on Coast to Coast AM. We'll see you on our next edition. Until then, be safe, everyone.